Well, if you'd grab a Bible and open to Psalm 86, I'd like us to spend just a couple minutes in the 86th Psalm. And since we just watched a video about that, then uh, I see this is good. What we need is an extending podium. That way I can just get as high as I need it. I like this. Amen. This is my size right here. Psalm 86. Uh, Pew Bible in front of you. That's page 679. When Donnie, uh, we knew that uh, we had a fifth Sunday coming up, and then Donnie told me that, uh, we'll probably do something a little bit different. Um, this is where the Lord began to lead. Let's open with a word of prayer before we look at this psalm together, okay? Father, we come before you, and Lord, we thank you for this word. And God, now will you use it to help us to see through, Lord, uh, so many circumstances and situations in our life. Help us to see you. God, will you communicate uh, what's oftentimes a very difficult truth to hearts that oftentimes try to resist it, Lord, and help us to see you for who you are. And God, we just praise you for your miraculous word. In Jesus' name, amen. The 86th Psalm is a very interesting psalm for a lot of reasons. Uh, mainly because in Psalm 86, David is struggling to worship. David is struggling to pray. He's struggling to come before God. He is in a, a very dark and difficult time in his life. And this psalm is like a, an autopsy of a very spiritual low point or of, of just the, the enemies just devotion to stand between us and our Heavenly Father. And how things just seem to get so tangled around and twisted around as we try to worship God. When I began reading through this psalm and studying this psalm, here's what jumped out at me. It, it, it was as if I was relating with David those moments in my life where I desired to worship God. Maybe you can relate those times in my life when I wanted to, to pray and I was struggling to pray or I wanted to sing and worship God or I wanted to read my Bible and just worship God and His Word. And yet it just didn't seem to be working. There was a struggle there. There was a tension there. It's like when you uh, know that you need to pray and things seem like they're falling apart around you and you're praying, but it's just not clicking. It, sound, it seems like everything's just bouncing off the ceiling and you're not getting there. Maybe you can relate to this uh, feeling or this struggle. This psalm is, is a psalm of David uh, and it's in a very strange place in the Bible. In other words, not that it's in the book of Psalms because obviously where else would a psalm of David be? But the fact that it's the only psalm of David found in the third book of the Psalms. So the book of Psalms is divided into sections. And when you study it as a whole, you see there's distinct sections in the book of Psalms. But in this particular section, this is the only psalm written by David. And that struck me as interesting. It's, it's, it's a psalm that really draws out the, the mercy of God. And it shows the mercy of God in the sense that here this, this struggle that David is having is found by God's providence right in the middle of this Hebrew songbook. In other words, that God's people would have this to turn to and to help them and to encourage them when they face difficulty. So 
let's uh, let's just begin to read through this together and let's just look at a few things as we go through. I want you to uh, to see that there are some transitions here. For example, the first 10 verses are one section and then the four verses that follow are another and then the last part is another. So just try to pick that up as we read through it and then we'll go back and we'll talk about some of these things. Psalm 86, it's a prayer of David. The Bible says, Bow your ear, O Lord, and hear me, for I am poor and needy. Preserve my life, for I am holy. You are God. Save your servant who trusts in you. Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Rejoice the soul of your servant, for to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. For you, Lord, are good and ready to forgive and abundant in mercy to all those who call upon you. Give ear, O Lord, to my prayer and attend to the voice of my supplications. In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. Among the gods, there is none like you, O Lord, nor are there any works like your works. All the nations whom you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, shall glorify your name. For you are great and you do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I will praise you, O Lord my God, with all my heart. And I will glorify your name forever. For great is your mercy toward me. For you have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. O God, the proud have risen against me. And the mob of violent men have sought my life. And have not set you before them. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and gracious long-suffering and abundant in mercy and truth. O turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save the son of your maidservant. Show me a sign for good that those who hate me may see it and be ashamed. Because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. But this is such a powerful psalm. And and the thing here that, that I first want you to see is that it's so convicting to me. And hopefully you pick this up as we read through it. That David here is in this obviously distressing situation. And as he is struggling with God, here's what he doesn't do. Here's what we love to do and he doesn't do. Do you notice that he doesn't say what his problem is until he gets to verse 14? In other words, when we're in a bad situation, don't we tend to lead with our problem? We come before God, we're in a bad situation and a struggle. And so we just kind of drop to our knees or bow our head and we just start railing after God with all the problems that we're having. But David doesn't do that. In fact, we don't really see. And, and I just read this over and over and over. And I would just sort of let these words just begin to flow over my soul and just follow David's progression and you feel the tension building. You feel the struggle that he's facing, but he doesn't let it out. He realizes that there's more important things that need to be accomplished before he gets to his immediate problem. And so let's just look for a minute about some of these uh, things that David's facing, because I think that we can all relate as we look to this, because here's here's where this affects me. This affects me when I pray, when I know that I need to pray, when I, when I feel, when, when there's circumstances in my life and there's situations going on in my life and I feel like 
things around me are just not as they should be. You know that feeling? And so you know you need to pray, but prayer seems to be a struggle. See, sometimes prayer just comes easy and it's just sweet and it's just good and you're just fellowshipping with God, but sometimes it's a battle. See, somebody who who thinks that you know, every time they pray, it's the same or that whenever we pray, it's it's easy, doesn't pray much because it's not. Sometimes it's hard. And especially when we're out of sorts, when our world and our heart are wrong, because we know that we we're praying to a changeless God. So it's it's us. But but sometimes things just begin to cloud what needs to happen or, or what we need to say. Notice in, in verse 2, we see that David is, is threatened. He says, preserve my life for I am holy. He doesn't mean that he's perfect. He just means that, that he loves the Lord and that he desires to seek God. You are my God, he says. Save your servant who trusts in you. Now, why would he say that? See, those are words of someone who feels afraid or anxious. They're, they're the words that you would say in your own vernacular when you feel threatened by something. In, in verse 3, he says, Be merciful to me, O Lord, for I cry to you all day long. Now, why does he say that? In other words, why does he say be merciful to me? It, it speaks of the helplessness that he feels. Sometimes I feel helpless to my surroundings. Sometimes things just start happening around me and things happen to people that I love and things happen to people that I I care for and I can't do anything about it. And then I feel helpless. And and he says, be merciful to me, O God. Look at verse four. Rejoice the soul of your servant. A very interesting statement, especially in the original language. In the Hebrew, this statement is, 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 is this cry of I'm sad. Father, I'm sad. I'm just sad. You see, sometimes Christians get in a bad habit of projecting that we should never get sad. We should never feel threatened. We should never. And maybe it's true that we shouldn't. But the reality is, is that we do. And when we do, the Bible gives us a remedy to deal with it. And, and I want to encourage you that David here is sad. In verse 7, for example, he says, In the day of my trouble, I will call upon you, for you will answer me. Clearly, he's troubled. You know, you don't have to guess around to figure out that there's this threatened, helpless, sad, troubled man who is is sort of pleading through. It's almost like he's trying to convince himself to hang in there and to keep praying and to keep pushing and to keep pressing until he gets to where he needs to be. Now, you know what that feels like? Have you ever been there? Is this a place that you can relate to? Because, you know, doesn't it seem a lot of times... Like, maybe the harder we try, and I mean in a spiritual sense, the harder we try to, to pray, the harder we try to, to study, the harder we try to serve, sometimes the harder it gets, sometimes. Sometimes things don't just go the way we think they automatically ought to go. 
sometimes life is not not so predictable and so simple and all is not always well, it seems. But boy, we sure are good at pretending that it is. We're so good at having all the right answers and having being all the right places and saying all the right things like we're just okay. And so really, these first ten verses, it's David's way of, of sort of saying to you and to me, God's way of encouraging us that sometimes it's a struggle to worship God. Sometimes it's a struggle. Sometimes you come in here on Sunday morning or you come in here on Sunday night and your mind is racing and you're thinking about things you don't like and instead of, you know, it, and, and so these glorious words are on the screen, but it's too cold or it's too hot or, the, you know, the person behind you is me and singing in your ear and that's ruining the whole experience. Or, you know, and, and, so, there's, there's, and so there's a block. There's some problem you know it's just and it's not as it ought to be and and it, you came in other words you're here you you got up got dressed came to church in other words you evidently intended to do something for good there's some reason we've all gathered here right but it doesn't always it's not always accomplished like it ought to be why because sometimes we struggle And sometimes we just have to admit the fact that we're struggling. And my prayer is that what you'll do in the future when you find yourself in these circumstances that you'll open, for example, to Psalm 86 and you'll begin to read through this and you'll take the advice of this psalm tonight and you'll hide it in your heart and you'll use it. See, David doesn't come out with, God, here's all my problems, fix all my problems. That's not what he does. He spends the first ten verses really just talking about God. He comes to the Lord and his, his initial intention in the midst of all his helplessness, sadness, trouble, anxiety. He says, God, you are what matters. You are the one that should be exalted. You are the great God. And really in this, in this first 10 verses, there's sort of two parts. Really the first four are have this uh, sort of David is placing himself in the first four verses. In other words, he's talking about God in relation to himself. He says, bow your ear and hear me for I am. Verse 2, preserve me and, and you are my God and be merciful to me for I cry. So he's, he's talking about who God is in the context and he's, he's sort of pushing himself in there. And then he transitions in 5 through 10 and he just begins to talk about who God is in general and how great God's attributes are. And here's the thing. If the first four verses, if David is communicating who he is, in light of God. Or maybe just who He is. And then in 5 through 10, He's communicating who God actually is. Here's the question that just jumps off the page at me. What does it matter who we are if we don't know the truth about who God is? You see, that's really worthless information, isn't it? In other words... 
If we were to take a field trip tonight and all load up into buses and vans and drive down to Barnes & Noble, we could do this quick, simple experiment. We could go down to any bookstore, Books A Million, you pick one. As long as it's in the United States, it's 100% accurate every time. I already know what section in Barnes & Noble is by far and away, it's not even close, the largest section in every American bookstore. Self-help. Self-help. They have row after row after row of every kind of book to solve every kind of problem and every kind of trick and every sort of thing that's going to fix all of our problems and reveal to us who we really are or how things are supposed to really be. And all. The, and here's the thing. It's really worthless information because all the information in the world about me is not going to change anything if I don't know the truth about God. But if I know the truth about God, then what becomes extremely valuable is the truth about me in Him. And you see, that's really what the first ten verses begin to convey, is that David realizes who he is, who God is and how those two things come together. And so you see this beautiful picture of when we're struggling, when we're down, when we don't really, you know, know how we're going to make it or how to press in. Listen, you start out by just remembering who God is and who you are in relation to that truth about God and how those things come together. Because God is changeless. He's the same today, yesterday and forever. We, on the other hand, are up one day and down another day. You see, we're the ones with the problem. We're the ones that are ebbing and flowing in life and going up and down and struggling and, and going through trials. So God doesn't change. So when you need to sort of regroup, when you need to get back to default setting, the best place to start is not all of the things that are trying to distract you, but who is God and who am I in him. What a remarkable truth that is. You see, often what happens is we allow our circumstances and our failures and our trials to project onto God, especially in the way God relates to us. In other words, we have this horrific ability to look at difficult situations. Isn't it true? And our first gut reaction is, God, why are you punishing me? It's the truth. Why? Because we allow our struggles to pull us away from who God is. And we begin to look around and we, that's not who God is. But that's what we think. And so David teaches us this amazing lesson. Listen, the center is God. He's the center. And when everything else seems like a tornado, listen, you and you need to hang on to something. You come back to who is God and who am I in him? That's where you begin in your times of distress and in your times of 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 hindered worship. OK, so these are all the, these issues of fear and anxiety. I mean. Listen, when, when you're struggling, utilize the, the wisdom of this psalm. Look at these first ten verses and, and just read through them and meditate through them and memorize them. Heavens forbid. 
Memorize the psalm and just recite it over and over to yourself. Okay, the second thing I want us to see is that when David shows us that, that when these difficult times come, the second thing he does here is he, he, he sort of proves this point that duplicity is deadly. In other words, I just love that word. In other words, focus. Okay? Don't you just love duplicity? Isn't that just a glorious word? Just focus. That's what David's saying. Just focus. Verse 11, he says this, Teach me your way, O Lord, and I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. That is such an amazing passage. Unite my heart. In other words, unite my heart with your heart. Why? Because we have a tendency, David's saying, because my, my tendency is, is that the world around me is collapsing. And so there's this economy of the world and there's this economy of God. And I need you to unite my heart with your heart so that I'm not distracted and defeated and sucked in by these things that go on around me. See, this is a beautiful phrase that many of you need to utilize and just pray over and over and over every day at work. Those of you that work in places where every day it's just foul language, it's just all sorts of horrific things and people blaspheming God and you just feel like you're out on an island. By, listen, pray the prayer. God, just unite my heart to fear your name. That is a that's an amazing statement. Unite me. In other words, don't let me get connected to that. Keep me connected to you. Graft me together. With your heart. That our hearts would beat in unison. That's a good, good concept. Verse 12. And I will praise you, O Lord, with all my heart. You see the focus? You see how David's just reining this in? With all my heart. And I will glorify your name forevermore. Forevermore. Verse 13. For great is your mercy. Your has said. In the, in the Hebrew, this word has said is, is really, it's one of the most important words in the entire Hebrew language. Has said is translated mercy or love, but it's so much more than that. It's this long suffering, glorious, gracious love. The only way to really describe has said is to think of it in terms of a marriage. A, a marriage that is just glorious and honoring God and just just prospering in this relationship between a husband and a wife. And then you think about how there are some legal sort of binding covenant agreements that hold the husband and wife together, right? Right? Okay? Scratch all that. What's left over is hesed. In other words, it's, it's the amazing love that just happens because it's good. That's what has said is. You see, it's not, it's not, it doesn't happen because it has to. It happens because two people create an environment where it can. And so God has this has said, this love towards his people where he loves us beyond the bounds of. You, you understand that? In other words, God's love is not bound by anything. And so, Scripture's here to help us, like in the first ten verses, Scripture's here to assure us of who we are in God and what God has said about us and our position in God and His love for us and the surety of that. But has said is, but there's more than that even that you and me can experience, but there's more than that. That's not all. There's more. 
that you can just, you can be loved in kindness and mercy and grace that's just beyond my ability to communicate to you. That's what that word is. So we're to focus. And thirdly, and the last part is this. When you begin to break through, okay, after you have accomplished these first steps, after you have have come before God and you've grounded and centered yourself in who He is and who you are in Him, and then you begin to focus yourself on what He says and center yourself on Him, then as we begin to pray, listen, I just want to give you some practical wisdom right out of this psalm. Pray specifically. In other words, share with God what's on your heart. Share it. Watch what David does in these last four scriptures as he, as he just is, brings this in and gets specific. He says, Oh God, the proud have risen against me. See, here's the first mention of what his problem actually is. He's got men that have come against me. There's a mob of violent men who have sought my life and have not set you before them. You see, he's under attack. He's in danger. Verse 15. But you, O Lord, are a God full of compassion and you're gracious and long-suffering. You're abundant in mercy and truth. Oh, turn, turn to me and have mercy on me. Give your strength to your servant and save your son, the son of your maidservant, and show me a sign for good. Show me a sign for good, Lord, that those who hate me They may see it and be ashamed because you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. You know, David, he tells God what he's in need of. God knows, but he's communicating his heart. He's sharing his heart. You know, so many times I'm afraid I'm not there, so I don't know. But I'm curious. I wish I was. It would sure help me teach and talk about prayer if I knew. I'd love to know what you say when you're alone with God. I'd love to be able to just listen in on some of your prayers, anonymously, of course, just so I could hear, so it would help me. Because I fear that sometimes we just sort of recite these familiar things or we just say these sort of just empty, sort of sweeping phrases. And, and we're, are we being specific? Are we, are we pouring our heart out to God and saying, God, here's my problem. And it seems a little strange because I know that you know, but, but here it is. And you're talking through the problem. You're talking through the circumstance and the situation. And you're saying, God, here's what's going on. You know what? God just honors that. And here's how. What, look at what David does. When he gets done, he says, show me a sign. When was the last time you were praying? And then you said, God, show me a sign. You know what this is? God, confirm your word in me. Confirm your love for me. Confirm. God is a God of confirmation. God loves to confirm what he's doing. He loves to do that. Now, let me just encourage you a little bit by, by sharing with you some, some things about God's confirmation. You see, these things are linked together. Sometimes I talk to people about how God's always revealing and confirming things in my life, and they look at me a little strange. You know, they give me that, you know, when a dog hears a high-pitched squeal look, you know, their head cocks to the side, and they're kind of like, you know, what you talking about, Willis? You know, they just don't. 
I'm just being honest. You see, when you pray specifically, here's what happens. You ask specifically and pray specifically, and then you begin to see specifically. In other words, when you just pray sort of blanket open prayers, then here's the problem with that. The the problem for me is I want to see God answer. I want to see God work. I want to see that. Well, if I don't ask for anything, if I haven't prayed for things... Now, I, I mean, this is all in the context of... I'm not here on Sunday morning saying this because I get in a whole lot of trouble. Because Sunday morning crowd, there's a bunch of folks in here who could take this and twist it around and get in all sorts of trouble. But you're spiritually mature enough to know what I'm saying. This isn't God, give me a Lamborghini. But the point is, when you pray specifically... You begin to see God work and He begins to confirm His work in you. Now, let me just tell you how that happens. I pray specifically. I pray specifically for many of you. I pray specifically for many circumstances and situations. And God is always encouraging me. The more I pray specifically, the more He confirms His Word, the more I want to continue to pray. And so, for example, if I'm, if I preach a sermon, And then John walks out into the foyer and he comes straight up to me and he looks at me and he says, how did you know what my Sunday school lesson was on? It encourages me. It encourages him. It's God's confirmation that he's speaking to his people in the same general direction. This morning when I got to church, the men meet to pray. We're in the room. We're starting to pray. Brother Wade lifts up a young lady for prayer. He says about three words about her. And I said, wait a minute. That sounds like somebody Lisa and I are praying for. And I said, what's her name? He tells me her name. I go, how do you know her? And he's like, how do you know her? And I said, well, I know her because my wife. And he said, well, she used to be my neighbor. In other words, it's the same person. That's confirming that God, here's the same, of all the people. He says just a couple things. And I said, immediately, I know who that is. And it was the same person. So tonight. So for a while now, I've been just chewing on, I'm always chewing on different passages of Scripture and different places of Scripture. And you don't just, without going into a lot of detail, you don't just wake up one morning and say, I think I'm going to preach a sermon on forgiveness. It doesn't work like that. And so you you put things in your heart and, and they just work on you and they go up and down and all over the place inside of you. And sometimes you wonder if, is this for me? Is this for everyone? Who's this for? And it takes this process and you go through all these different things that go on in your life, but they're always there. And the reason I tell you this is because there's always five or six of them rolling around inside of me and I'm never really sure which one's going where. Are you with me? And so then Donnie comes up to me and he says, hey, by the way, you know the fifth Sunday saying? Yeah. He says, well, how about, you know, you uh, preach a short message. <laughs> and, uh, that wasn't a joke, by the way. But I forgive you. So he says, hey, why don't you, why don't you preach a message? And I'm thinking, man, well, I, amen. Well, I got a couple things that have been kind of rolling around inside of me. I'm thinking, boy, that Psalm 86 would be good. So then Donnie comes in, I guess it was Friday, and he lays the piece of paper down on my desk that has the order of service for tonight. And I look down on it and it says, Video, Psalm 86. 
My point is, pray specifically and watch God confirm Himself. Now, here's, here's the last thing, and I'm done, I promise. Almost. It's not that God confirms His Word when we pray specifically. No. God's always doing that. We just don't see it unless we're praying specifically. It's going on all around us all the time. See, if you say to yourself, well, all that Psalm 86 stuff, that's just because you're a preacher. That's no, that's what goes on in your family every day. It goes on in your life every day. I am 100% positive that every redeemed person in this room, God is continually confirming His Word, His love, His grace and mercy in your life. And if you're sitting there tonight thinking, well, I don't ever see it, that's because your eyes aren't open. But you need to start praying and you need to start praying specifically. And here's what I know will happen. You will begin to see. Because God is always confirming. Always. So, Donnie puts that on my desk on Friday. I said, well, amen, here we go. And I'm thinking about how God's confirming His Word. And then this morning, after church, I'm walking out there, going to the lunch, the brown bag lunch, and Brother Dave stops me and he says, hey, uh, can I talk to you for a minute? I said, sure. And he said, uh, Venus wrote a letter and she wants to share it. You know, she wants to she wants the church to know how she's doing. She wants the church to to know that uh, that our prayers are working. And I said, well, amen. Where's the letter? He said, I'm going to bring it to you tonight. I said, "Okay." And so then I just kind of went on about what I was doing. And then when I was driving home, I began to think, I don't even know what the letter says. I started thinking to myself. Hmm. Okay, so tonight he walks in and gives me the letter. I'll read it to you. Dear friends, she writes, first and foremost, I just want to thank you for your love and your prayers. I came here really numb and not knowing what I would get out of this experience. Now, I can tell you that God knew and I am very thankful. I've been here just under a week and I've learned so so much. I will continue to keep my heart open and allow God to continue what He is wanting me to learn and to apply to my life. Once again, thank you for your support. I miss all of you. God bless you. Love in Christ. Venus. Now you say to yourself, Tony, how, how is that confirmation? It's good news, but how is it confirmation? Well, because some of you in this room know that it wasn't very long ago that Venus was afraid and sad and anxious. She was under pressure. And it was like she was hitting a brick wall and she wanted it, but she couldn't get it. And it was just, but here's what she didn't do. Brothers and sisters, here's what she didn't do. She didn't quit. You see, David didn't just, this psalm's not three verses long. He didn't just go three verses in and say, well, forget it, it's not working. But he pressed on. 
she pressed on. The letter confirms the victory for those who press through the difficulty. Can I please, please beg of you tonight, don't quit when times are hard. Don't give in when there seems to be hindrances all around you, when worship seems to be a distraction or a problem, when things aren't all as they seem. Press into God. Just keep pressing in and worship Him in spirit and in truth. You know, the the circumstances of our life have such a way of misleading us and causing us troubles. And You know, when my kids were small, I used to get bombed every once in a while and they were little infants and Lisa would say, hey, Tony, will you, you know, take the kids here, take the kids there? And at the time it seemed like, sure, yeah. And then when you start trying to pull an infant and a two and a half year old somewhere, you realize, oh boy, is this even worth it? I mean, what, you know, so one day she asked me, I had something happened. I had to take Colton to the doctor and I thought, well, no problem. I'm a big boy. I can handle that. So I get him. He's in diapers. You know, imagine that little Colton sitting right here and I'm carrying him around and we go in the doctor's office and, you know, he's, you know, he's one. I mean, he doesn't even know what planet he's on. He's just looking around, slobbering on himself, grinning. And so we go back in the doctor's office and here's what it never dawns on me. Any of this, we go back in the doctor's office and then, you know, they're like, take his shirt off and they're listening and poking and going all that. And then the doctor says, okay, well, you want to hold him? I said, sure, I'll hold him. And all of a sudden he's like, and there's the needle. And then it hits me. Uh Uh-oh. And now I've got my little precious son and I've got this doctor bearing down with this big needle and I'm thinking, oh no. And I'm holding him and I'm squeezing him and the needle begins to pierce into him. And I will never forget as long as I live the look on his eyes as he looked at me and said, how could you betray me like this? What kind of a father would allow some stranger to jab metal into their flesh? You know what? When your life is a tornado, maybe what you and I are missing is that your heavenly father is holding you tight so that you won't move because He knows what's best for you. And one day you'll grow up through it and you'll look back and say, thank God I had a Father who loved me. Let's stand and bow our heads for a moment and just praise God for what He's shown us. Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your love and Your grace. We thank You for Your chesed, Lord. We thank You, God, for how You work in and through and among us, Lord. And so, God, as your people tonight, we just come and bow our heads and say, Lord, we struggle sometimes. And we need encouragement, God. And thank you for Psalm 86. And may it encourage us when we are defeated and down and we feel depressed and lonely, Lord. So, Father, in this time, as we continue to worship, God, would you do a work in us? Maybe there's some here who want to come and pray. Lord, I pray that as we sing, they would just come and Kneel down and pray and, and worship you. Press through, Lord, the, the anxiety or the strangeness of bowing at an altar where, while people sing worship music, Lord. Help us to get past it. Father, if there's anyone here who needs you tonight, 
What a great night it would be for salvation, Lord. Would you reveal yourself to them, Father? Would you bring salvation here? Thank you, God, for your love. In Jesus' name.